That was my granddad's favorite song, and they had assigned seats in their choir growing up, very much like you have assigned seats out here. And so when we were singing that song, I could, I could just picture him singing that. It's, it's really pretty. Well, we're back from vacation. A lot of you asked about it. Thank you so much. Family had a blast. We had a great time. Um, uh, a lot to do up there in Tennessee, a lot to do, and uh, I think we did most of it. So we were glad to be home. We're glad to be back. I know a lot of you are on vacation this summer at different times, and we have a big group out today. But um, we, we, it, was, it was nice to focus on family and kind of uh, be forced into that one room with four other people for seven nights. Oh, boy, with three kids. It was glorious. <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> No, it was fine. It was fine. But thank you for um, thank you for asking and praying for us. We appreciate that, folks. We're in Joshua 11 still. You may be going. Wait a minute, Pastor. You did Joshua 11 a week in, a week before, two weeks before. We did. We talked about the freedom of the will. We talked about how God can harden hearts. He can strengthen the resolve of hearts that are already hardened. But we're going to talk a little bit more uh, because the next verse. Is, is something extremely important for us to focus on after knowing what kind of world we live in, what we're up against. And the title of today's message is called Giants. Giants. We face them. But so did some men back in biblical times as well. If you're in Joshua 11, please look down at verses 21 through 23. And Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua devoted them to destruction with their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel. Only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod did some remain." So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it up for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments, and the land had rest from war. A lot of the Joshua that's remaining is the tribal allotments because of the promised land, and each tribe would receive a portion. And we'll talk a little bit about that. We're not going to spend extensive time on that in our future, but we will address that a little bit. Today, we're talking about the Anakim. Another way to put it is Anakites. Folks, these are giants. You may have heard words like Nephilim, uh, Amim, Rephaim. Everything that I just spoke, uh, they were a race of giant people, again, I'm going to say it, giants, long-necked, tall, of great size, giants. If we go all the way back to Genesis 6, you're not turning there, but I'm going to give you some, some information. Back in Genesis 6, it speaks about the Nephilim. These are mighty men of old, men of renown. It says that the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. Now, this gets deep here, and we can't spend a lot of time on it. But the offspring that we're speaking about today, the very offspring uh, is who we are speaking of in this text, who Joshua and Caleb are facing. That's who we're talking about. This is the offspring. 
These are the people who brought great fear to the Israelite people just 38 years prior to this. If you remember in Numbers 13, Moses sent 12 spies, right, a leader, a man from each tribe, including Joshua and Caleb. They sent 12 spies to spy out the land to see what they were up against. Give me evidence. Talk to me about the fortified cities. Tell me about the people. I want to know about the fruit of the land. Tell me everything. Well, 10 of those spies came back, and this is what it says in Numbers 13, 33. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak. Anak was a giant. Anakim, Anakites, this is where we come from, this, is, this, is, this clan, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, so we seem to them. We were small. We were like grasshoppers, and they knew it too. These were giants. So when they came back from that um, expedition, right, as they came back with information of what their eyes had seen, they spread fear amongst everybody because they themselves were terrified of the giants. These were huge warriors, and they were frightened, and they spread fear. So that's why they spent another 38 years in the wilderness. Had already been two, 38 more years. Let's talk about these sons of God, though, back in Genesis 6. There are a lot of views, folks, to who these sons of God were who impregnated these women. But I'm going to address some of the views so you understand. We can't get into them deeply. We'd be here for days talking about each of these views. But I want to express what the views are, because something happened. Where did these giants come from? The first view is, of course, fallen angels. We know they were fallen angels. They took on a human form and mated with the human females, okay? Another, another theory is that these fallen angels that we call demons possessed uh, men in order to reproduce this race of giants. Another view, of course, is based on the conditions of the time. We're talking about pristine conditions, almost perfect conditions, right, in Genesis. And um, a lot of scholars think that it's possible that because of these conditions in this time, people were much bigger, much stronger, right? We know that genetics is involved. Genetics has to be because it's a very unique and exceptional thing that's happened here. They're unique and exceptional beings. They're not superhumans, but they are unique. They are of great size and of great strength, which we'll find in our text. There are obstacles to each of these views. There are obstacles that each of these theories face, and they are problematic because we know that the Nephilim were there before the flood and, of course, after the flood. So we know that that genetic trait was carried. I want to stress one more time why these are problematic and things we have to discuss. There are also, in each of these, credible evidence for them. That's the tough spot we're in. But at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you why it is a mystery, while it is a mystery, excuse me, as how these giants came to be, we have to know this, and we cannot deny it, 
the fact that there were indeed giants that walked this earth, and both Joshua and Caleb faced both of these, these giants. They faced them. So, we can try to figure out, well, how did these come to be, and, and why were they so large? I mean, we have giantism today. One of the most famous ones, of course, is Andre the Giant, and every year you can turn into the Guinness Book of World Records and see who you know, still holds that title. There are some big, tall people, but this was a very unique race of giants that lived in the land and terrified the people, and when they came back 38 years later, they were still there. They still had to face these giants, and that's where we're at. Now, I talked about Caleb. I want to talk a little bit more about him. You don't have to turn there because they're going to put it up. Caleb, uh, this, let's talk about Joshua 14, 10 through 12. It says this, And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said, I like Caleb. I like him very, very much. It's interesting. We're going to use Caleb's age also to help us understand the, the, the war, the time of this battle. See, it was about six or seven years to conquer Canaan. How do we know that? Well, it gives us his age, 38 years He's 85, and then he says 45 years ago. When you put all the math together, it comes up to seven years. So he'd have been 40 years old when they hit the wilderness. 38 years later, he was 78, and today he's 85 when he's about to take this. So we're looking at six to seven years. That's a long war. That is a long war. But you know what's neat about that verse at the end of it, it says, it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. He believed that 38 years ago. He and Joshua were only two that wanted to go in and conquer these giants. Everybody else was scared. So here he is 38 years later. Well, 45 years later, at the end of this campaign. And he's still as strong as he was. And he still believes God because the Lord said it. He promised it. In Joshua 15, by the way, Joshua 15, the Bible tells us that Caleb did indeed drive out the three sons of Anak as he went up against the inhabitants of the hill country. That hill country is Hebron. That was his allotment. Give me that mountain. That was his. He went up against them. So when the Bible speaks of Joshua completely destroying the three cities mentioned in, their very, in our text, remember I said that the, uh, he, Hebron, Debir, and Anab, when he talks about destroying those three cities, it may be that he was represented by Caleb in the destruction of these cities. It may be. But what we do know is this, giants were present and that Joshua and Caleb 
face these giants head on. They were prepared to do it earlier, but they were doing it now. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, you probably already know it, it was in my installment bulletin that day, is Joshua 1.9. Joshua 1.9 says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I absolutely love that verse. I look at this verse and I say, God wants me to be strong and courageous, which cancels out being frightened and dismayed. It cancels them out. How can it do that? Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua and Caleb both knew that. Caleb even said it. I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Man, I'd want to live like that. I want to live like that. If you look back at verse 22 in your text, Joshua eleven twenty-two 22, that we read this morning, it says, there was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel, only in Gaza and Gath and Ashdod did some remain. Some giants remained, which proves Scripture to be true. It validates it because we're going to see them again. How do we know that? Well, the remnants of the Anakim in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod You know what they do? They anticipate the arrival of the Philistines and the presence of a giant that we know all too well. His name is Goliath. Goliath, that is correct. You know, many Bible scholars speculate that the Anakim's descendants were uh, the Philistines' giants that David encountered. The descendants... They were some of the giants in the Philistine camp, right, that David encountered. I believe that as well. But let's talk about 1 Samuel 17 for a second. 1 Samuel 17 is the story of David and Goliath. We have our giants with Joshua. We have our giants with Caleb. Let's talk about David for a second. David and Goliath. Now, Goliath's size, you know what we do. We debate everything these days. So, of course, Goliath's size is a huge debate. Some believe that he was closer to only seven feet tall. Some believe he was 10 or 11 feet. Now, this may be due to how the measurements are, uh, were translated into Greek. That could have been the, the, the issue because some of our ancient texts both talk about uh, uh, the six cubits and the four, okay? I'm just throwing it out there so you understand. Um, second, the measurement of cubit is not exactly precise. So these are different reasons why we could have this, this, this variable. Um, some people, you know, Saul was a very tall king. King Saul is the one who was terrified to face Goliath in the first place. He should have faced Goliath as the king. He was ahead above all the others. The uh, Jewish people, the Israelites, they were not that tall, but, but Saul was. And so some people believe that uh, Goliath's size and Saul's size was brought closer together to show that the battle was even. Some believe that David was only five foot nothing, which he was, he was tiny, but, but the, so the, the glass huge, double his size. So what I'm getting at is a lot of people speculate, which is all we can do, about to the size of Goliath. What I'm going to say is if you look at the weaponry and the gear, this was a man of great, great size. Before they entered uh, this side of the Jordan, they had defeated a man, a king named Og, Og of Bashan. We actually talked about that. On the other side of the Jordan, they fought some people. You know how big he was? They still have the bed. The bed is made of iron, but it's 13 feet long, actually over 13 feet long, six feet wide. He was a giant. He was huge. That is a big bed. 
That is a big, big bed. So what we're doing here is we're identifying these men, culturally relevant, we're identifying these men right now as giants. They are men of great, great size. Personally, I believe Goliath is bigger than some people say. I believe he was more closer to the 10 or 11 feet mark. Um, because it is an imposing force that kept Israel from not wanting to come out and face him. Saul wouldn't come out and face him. It was a small shepherd boy. So in 1 Samuel, we're going to put it up for you. Let's talk about David for a minute. In 1 Samuel 17, verses 33 through 37, it says, And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep from his fa- uh, sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. I just wanted to set the stage because this is what's happening with David. There is a giant defying, he's, be, he's nasty too, he's saying some pretty awful things. The, the army's not moving, there's not a man stepping forward to fight him. The king himself, who is the largest man among them, won't do it. He's terrified. No one will face this giant, but David says, I, I will, God's going to deliver me. I have evidence in my past of him delivering me. I believe it'll be today as well. Caleb had the same confidence. Joshua had the same confidence. We have to look at these men and apply uh, what's going on in their lives to ours. Now, I want to read this part to you. Same book, 1 Samuel. Let's get to it. In 17, this is 45 through 47, here's what he says to Goliath. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Did you hear that? He didn't come in his strength or with his weaponry. He came to him in the name of the Lord. Let me kill it. Let me keep going. Uh, This day, in verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand And I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand." The giant's hearing this, not worried about a word he said. Oh my goodness, we know how this story turns out. Did you hear the words of David? There was nothing about his sling or his stones, nothing about his strategic plan, nothing about his strength. It was all about his God because the battle is the Lord's. And there's this psalm, Psalm 27.1. 
This is the Psalm of David, and I wonder if this went through his head when he was thinking about it. Psalm 27.1. We got that, fellas? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? I cannot help but wonder, as David stood before his giant, did he realize, well, everybody else watching, did they realize more so that David knew that God was his light, that God was saving him, his salvation in this, that God was his stronghold. This giant was not going to hurt him because the light and salvation and stronghold of God was on David. So was he afraid? No. Was he in fear? No. He faced his giant head on because God was his salvation and his stronghold. For Joshua, for Caleb, and for David, all of these battles belong to the Lord, and so do ours, for the battle is the Lord's. And this is what I want to get to today. I talked about Joshua, Caleb, and David for a purpose in facing these real giants, but let's talk about ours for a second. Our giants might look spiritual, emotional, physical, mental, maybe financial. I mean, we could be standing for the giant of lust, uh, 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 abuse, addiction. I mean, you guys know what you stand against. I know not everything we face is a giant. Let's make that clear. I know that we don't. But today, our modern-day giants, what they do, they interfere with our focus. They pull us away from God. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's going to hurt. Your giant is bigger than you. The giants they faced were bigger than them. Your giant is bigger than you. It's stronger than you. It's overpowering. Giants are obstacles that we cannot seem to find our way around. There is a truth. They come in all shapes and sizes, but make no mistakes, this world is full of them. It is full of giants, and we are facing them now, or we will be facing them at some point. Giants are too powerful for us to handle on our own, but, cancel that, we are not on our own, are we? We are not alone. We are not. The giants are bigger than you, that is true, but they are not bigger than your God. They are not. Joshua 1.9, I'm going to read it again. Can you put Joshua 1.9 up one more time? Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you look at Joshua, if you look at Caleb, if you look at David, you see that they were strong and courageous. Dismayed, fear, that was canceled out. God was with them, and he is with you. This is a promise of God. This is a benefit of being a child of God. He is with you wherever you go. Now, I really, I like what Paul talks about. I want to read a verse to you. Uh, he wrote a letter, 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9. He wrote a letter to the Corinthians that says, We were afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Our giants, they can afflict us absolutely in every way. They can leave us perplexed, 
confused. They can be a persecuting giant. We could live in persecution under that, and we can be struck down. But for the Christian, but for the Christian facing that giant, what does the verse say? We're not crushed. We're not driven to despair. We're not forsaken, and we're not destroyed because the light and salvation and stronghold that David talked about is our very God, and He's with us wherever we go. Now, that was 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9. I want to move down a little further to 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10. It says this. This is talking about the thorn in his side. Paul had an ailment. Paul had something. We're not sure what it is. People speculate across the board. But this verse talks about that. It says this. But he said to me, this is God talking, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, right there, that little sentence, I'm going to talk about it a little bit more. There's our secret weapon. There it is. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Can our giants afflict us? Absolutely. Perplexed? Yep. Persecuted? Absolutely. Struck down. And this verse adds insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Our giants, this is what they bring. This is what they're threatening us with as they stand before us. But then Paul says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Not one of these men that I talked about today looked to the strength of their giant. Do you realize that? Joshua, Caleb, and David never looked to the strength of their giant or giants that they faced, but to the strength of God. We have the proof in our text. That's who they look to. You know, it's tempting for you and I to panic, isn't it? Come on, panic is awesome. It's tempting for us to panic. It's tempting for us to run, to hide, or to surrender. We can even blame God for this, and we do. We can even blame God for this. In doing so, you know who we become like? We, came, we, we become just like those ten spies that say we can't win. My God's not big enough for this. I know, I understand your faithfulness and promises. I get it, but that giant's too big. We can't, we can't defeat them. That's who we become, just like those 10 spies. Dismissing the promises and faithfulness of God as if it were just lip service. You know, I look at Caleb, 85 years old. There were giants on his mountain. That was his property. That was his allotment. Moses and Joshua, they knew that was his allotment. There were giants on his mountain. But he wasn't concerned about his age. Not once did he talk about being concerned about being 85. He wasn't concerned about the, the, the size of the giants or even how many there were. Because Caleb knew that God had what? Promised it. God had promised it. Caleb knew that. So everything was irrelevant for him. Everything was irrelevant other than trusting in God, just like he had done 38 years prior when he was prepared then to face these giants. Nothing had changed. 
His faith, his faith is just as strong now as it was then. That's amazing. That's amazing. Church family, the spiritual warfare that we are engaged in is not about how strong we are, but about how strong our God is in our toughest battles. I'm talking about the kind that we're drowning. I'm talking about the kind where um, uh, we're out of our depths or we're hanging by a thread. You know those times. You know those times. In those times, we must remember that God started a work in us, and it is a work that He will complete. He brings it to completion. So we are a work in progress, and this progress is part of God's plans, and it's part of His purpose, just like we see in the life of Joshua, Caleb, and David. We are no different. In those purposes and plans, I have to ask you, who or what can stand in His way? No one. Nothing. Those three men knew that. Do we know that? See, there is no giant large enough to stand in God's way. Ours? Absolutely. I know that hurts. Yes, they can get in our way, not God's. So embrace this. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What does this mean? I mean, are you saying that I am strongest in my lowest moments? Are you saying that my weakest moments are where I find greatest strength, where I am strong? And the answer is yes, absolutely. Because you have surrendered to God instead of surrendering to your giant. When we surrender, when we submit to God, He takes over in His full strength. And his strength is unmatched. Paul wanted the thorn in his side removed. He did. We would all want a thorn in our side removed. There's things we pray for right now that we want removed. Am I right? Absolutely. Paul wanted this thorn removed, but what did God say? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. What he's saying is, I, Paul, church family, Joshua, Caleb, David, I am sufficient for you. My grace, my power, it's sustaining, it's empowering, it's calming, it's supportive, uh, it's comforting. My grace satisfies. In other words, guess what? I am your confidence when you're facing giants. See, God's power is made perfect in your weakness. Have you, do you know that? Have you realized that God's power is made perfect in your weakness, because our weakness is strength when Jesus Christ is in it. Did you hear that? Our weakness is strength when Jesus is in it, absolutely. Grace to meet every need, grace to meet every giant. Joshua, Caleb, and David were men who faced literal, real, and imposing giants. But what's common with all three of those men who faced them? is this, they said the battle is the Lord's. The battle belongs to the Lord, and, and He will deliver me from the hand of my giant. Picture that. They'll say this. This is, this is it. God is with me wherever I go. God is with me wherever I go. He will deliver me from the hand of my giant because this battle belongs to Him. 
That was the ingredients for their success, and it's ours. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Folks, Jesus Christ is our light. Jesus Christ is our salvation. Jesus Christ is our stronghold. So whom shall we fear? Whom shall we be afraid? No one. Not even giants. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, we're grateful. We're grateful that you are our God. We know that you were the God of Joshua. You're the God of, of, of Caleb, the God of David. Three men who, Lord, who knew that the battle belonged to you. Three men, Father, that knew you were with them wherever they went. Three men who knew that you would deliver them. We see that in our scripture. Father, you are true to them and you are true to us. Father, you are our God, the very same God who bestows those promises and that faithfulness on us. Whom shall we fear? Whom shall we be afraid? Father, we face them. We face giants and a lot of times we do surrender to them. You know us as our creator. You know us so well. We do surrender. Father God, what we're praying for today is boldness to be weak so that you can be strong in our lives. That's what we want. We want your strength revealed in our weakness when we face the things that we are unable to get around. The unmovable. The giants, Father, that are too big and overpowering and strong for us. We need to surrender and submit to your strength and let it cover us, just like we saw with these great men in Scripture. Father, that's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for every beating heart in this room. Father, I pray over this family right now that we embrace the words for when I am weak and you are strong. Father, let us live that out. Let us look to these wonderful stories, Father, as encouragement, stories to remind us that you are with us wherever we go, that you will deliver us out of the hand of our giants, that you are our light, our salvation that you are our strength, and that the battle, it always belongs to you. Why do we want to own that battle? Father God, we let, please help us pass that to you because it belongs to you. Let us rely on you. Let us turn to you and let you be our confidence. Father God, we love you. We know that you are a protector. Let us embrace that then when we face things in this world that want to pull us away that want to hurt us, afflict us, persecute us, leave us perplexed, strike us down. Let us turn to you, Father, because we know that you are our saving grace because your grace is sufficient. You are sufficient. You are everything to us. Let us turn to you in all things. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.